morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active word of God, his two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, October 18th, we are studying Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 to 26. If a mighty city like Jericho could fall so easily before Israel, surely the small town of Ai stands no chance, right? Israel learns the hard way that their success is not found in their military strength, but only in faith in the Lord's word. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Doug Gribbenaugh. Pastor Gribbenaugh serves as mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Gribbenaugh, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Well, thank you, brother. Uh, thank you, brothers and sisters, for having me back again today. Oh, and, you know, I'll do a plug for my program. <laughs> I'm Ooh, the host tell of us. the Afternoon Music Block uh, that is heard from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Central Time on KFUO Radio. We wander through all the hymns of the church, some uh, some hymns in the OSB, some hymns that are, are outside of it, but all is God's word set to song for the strengthening of our faith. So I, I hope uh, I hope our regular listeners might tune over there uh, occasionally, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., and, and enjoy some music with me. We were talking before the program today, Pastor Gribbenaugh, that there have been hymns that reference the fall of Jericho, which was Joshua chapter 6, but... We're unaware of hymns that reference the sin of Achan and the defeat at Ai that we get for today's text. So if, if you run across any, I, I expect to hear them on your show. Yeah, the, we don't usually write hymns of, of a disastrous defeat. Uh, <laughs> that tends to not be how humanity functions. <laughs> so give us give us some context. We've already laid out a little bit of what we're going to encounter in chapter 7. What, what kind of context should we know as we prepare to look at this chapter today? Really, chapter 6 actually sets the stage for for all of chapter seven here especially if we look at at uh, joshua's proclamations and pronouncements at jericho uh, so if we go back to to chapter six here we have the uh the pronouncement of of a curse upon jericho and upon anyone uh who would be taking things from it and so if we look at uh, uh let us see here chapter 6, and we turn then to verse 18. And you can hear me flipping those pages in the background, right? That's right. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Of course, this is Joshua speaking to the camp of Israel, the army that is going to be destroying uh, Jericho here. Uh, the things devoted for destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Hmm. Now, in the Hebrew, this word trouble, uh, akar, is uh, going to be very close to the name of the man who is bringing trouble upon the camp of Israel in chapter 7, Achan. 
And of course, those letters R and N sometimes were, were swapped in, in place occasionally. And so for the Hebrew ear, hearing this in the original language, uh, it's almost like a little uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> Watch out mm-hmm. for this. And then we'll hear in chapter 7 the name of this man who has then brought trouble upon the camp of Israel. Right. So those those verses from chapter 6 set the stage for what we see in chapter 7. Let's go ahead and pick up the text, at least to get started. We're starting with verse 1 of Joshua 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up, went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? I'm going to pause there. That takes us through verse 9, the first couple of scenes here of Joshua chapter 7. So Pastor Grimano, the first first verse really gives us a little bit of backstory. It reveals to us as readers something that's happened that at this point is unknown to Joshua and the rest of Israel, but it sets the stage for everything that we're going to see happen in this chapter. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the trouble that Achan brings upon Israel in verse 1. Well, and indeed, Achan's name uh, for the the Hebrew names have meanings. And and this is an an actual human being who lived in the time of Joshua, who committed this this great uh, breaking of faith uh, and bringing trouble for his name in the Hebrew actually means trouble. And, And so Achan is this one who has then trespassed this command. And now all of Israel... Corporately, all the people are suffering because of this one man's trespass, this one who was within this body of believers. Uh, and it is a, a, a good object lesson for us that, as we say, no man is an island. When we are in the body of Christ, when we are amongst our fellow believers, uh, we, we stand together as one. And our trespass of God's commands, uh, bring shame upon the one whose name is on our forehead and our hearts, that is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and bring shame amongst those who are bound together with us in that body of Christ, of all believers who have been baptized into Christ and are now members of that body. And so this idea of, of corporate suffering 
is not unique to this this time of this camp of Israel, this Old Testament time. It is very much a reality for us even living today. Uh, how often do we see uh, that the Satan is attacking shepherds in his church? And what a great shame when when shepherds, when pastors uh, fall to great sin. Uh, it is it is especially disastrous amongst the people, and it brings not only great shame, but then it engenders doubt uh, in in fellow believers. So this is a very important lesson for us to understand that beyond us ourselves, we are in a community, and we we are not our own. We've been purchased with a price that is the very precious blood of Jesus. And now that we have been marked with his name, uh, we we bear a, a responsibility uh, to to be sure that all that we say, think, and do uh, brings glory to our Father in heaven. Uh, that if the world should look to us and say that we are we are are doing ill in the eyes of the world, that we should be vindicated for our actions have been uh, have been right with God and right with our neighbor, and that we actually then will be proved out uh, to be faithful. As you were speaking there, Pastor Gribben, I was reminded of the way Paul, well, before Paul says it, the way Moses actually brought it up in Deuteronomy several times about the need for Israel to purge the evil from among them and the way that you know evil within the people of Israel, whether in the form of idolatry or other breaking of the covenant, threatens to infect and bring trouble to keep playing on the name Achan to the whole people of Israel, Paul picks up that same idea when he speaks in, for example, 1 Corinthians 5 and talks about leaven, leavening the whole lump and the need there to purge the evil. And so, I mean, you see an example of that here in, in Joshua 7. The other thing that, that your words reminded me of is the way that the catechism speaks concerning the first petition of the Lord's prayer, hallowed be thy name, and the urgency in the meaning that Luther gives concerning God's name being kept holy. And, and he says, anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. And then he offers that prayer right there, protect us from this heavenly father. And, and you see from the account with Achan, just the great necessity of praying, hallowed be thy name, not just for myself, certainly for myself, but for all of us, for the whole people of God. Amen. Amen. So the the scene continues and into verse two. We've gotten this backstory. Here's what Achan has done, but nobody knows about it yet except the Lord, whose anger is burning against the people of Israel at this point. And of course, Achan knows it. Meanwhile, Joshua and the men of Israel, they're just going about business as usual. They've already taken Jericho. No problem there because the Lord gave them the battle plans and the Lord won the victory. And so now, all right, AI's next on the list. Let's go for it. Joshua and the leaders, they make a plan. It, and if it weren't such a tragic ending, there's almost a, a note of humor to it, just in their, their confidence that then is, is shattered. Take us into to the, what happens when they try to take AI this first time. Certainly. And, and in fact, actually, there is this great juxtaposition. At the close of chapter six, we hear, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. So, I mean, they are, they are known and and this great and mighty nation whose god fights for them they are unstoppable and this sort of confidence now is with Joshua and and with the other military leaders and 
you know, we, we've taken this great city, Jericho, whose walls were famed throughout the land, and it, and it fell. And now we have this teeny little place, AI. And so they, once again, send spies. And the spies come back and say, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's a tiny little place. You know, just two or 3,000 folks, and it'll be ours. No problem. Well, even with prudence, they go with the higher number. And what happens but a complete rout. They are turned away. The, the people of Israel turn their backs and flee. 36 men uh, are, are slain, and then the entire camp is, uh, is chased all the way to, uh, to the gate as far as the Shebarim and struck at the descent. And so now the people who had struck fear into their neighbors because the Lord God was with them, those other peoples whose hearts had melted, well, now it's Israel and their hearts turn to water. They are shattered and broken and absolutely in abject fear. Now, we have heard that it is because, as we hear in the end of verse 1, that the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. But this is not known to Joshua and to the people at this time. They simply have experienced this tremendous routing, and they, they are at a complete loss as to why. Why has this happened? And, and so they come to a time of, of lament. Uh, because they know not what has has taken place, and they need to know why, and they will not know why outside of a special revelation that God will give to Joshua. Mm. I mean, on the one hand, it, when you look at this from just an earthly perspective, you sent 3,000 men to try to take a city, and you got sent packing with 36 men killed. It doesn't seem like that bad of losses. I mean, it's not insignificant, I suppose, but it's it's not the worst defeat in the world until you think about it from the perspective of the people of Israel and the promises that they've been hearing from God that you're going to take this nation, the Lord's going to go with you, and he's going to give you the victory. Don't be afraid, be strong, be courageous. I mean, these promises over and over and over again, such that even if it had just been, I think, one person dying in battle and and them being sent packing, they would have had this kind of reaction because I mean, this was not what God had told them. What's going on here? How in the world could could anyone, particularly the tiny town of Ai, how could anyone defeat Israel when the Lord's on their side? And so this, you know, I mean, again, from an earthly perspective, it's like, well, that doesn't seem awful. You know, maybe just get those other 2,000 men with you, take five and, and you you got it, you know I mean? But, but that's to miss the point as well, which is what Israel is going to learn as this text continues, which is what they should have learned all along, is that it's all about trust in the Lord. The Lord's given his promises. He's the commander of the army. This isn't about Joshua's military prowess or the people's training in military tactics. This is all about following the Lord, listening to his word, trusting him to win the victory. And so this is a surprising thing for the people of Israel. And they turn to the right place. And that's where we get Joshua and the, the other people of the other elders of Israel lamenting, as you said, tearing their clothes. And we hear Joshua's prayer. Take us into this lament that is led by Joshua. You are right to observe that, that they go to the right place. 
And as is so often the case with all of humanity and, and with the people Israel in the Old Testament, they start out in the right way and then they take this wild left turn and they end up in the wrong place. So often I do the same thing in my own life and the Lord is gracious and merciful and he calls me to repentance. But we have here this, this first turn. And, and so Joshua, you know, lamenting, bowing before the ark of the Lord, covering the elders, covering themselves with ashes uh, in, in this great lament, great remorse and crying out to God, alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? That's that weird left turn. <laughs> it's the same way that, that the people of Israel so often have grumbled. I mean, even in Exodus, you know, they, they said to Moses, Exodus chapter 14, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? <laughs> you know? Or, or in Exodus chapter 16, would that we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Right? So they're, they're grumbling, uh, and, and it's the people grumbling to Joshua, and now Joshua grumbling to God, uh, the, the same way that they've done over and over again. You know, why have you done this? You, did you want to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan, right? Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? It is as if Joshua is saying that the, the, the fault is with them, not because of the breaking of the covenant or the breaking of, of God's law, trespassing and becoming uh, you know, at, at war with God's command, but, but that they were, uh, they, were, they were fearful. These were cowards, these cowardly men. You know, they turned their backs. What can I say? It's, it's almost like a... A five-star general uh, you know, coming to the to the, uh, the the Lord and saying, "Oh, you know, these guys they they turned their backs, they ran away. I, I I can't apologize enough for them. You know, they didn't do their job." Once again, that perspective is completely backwards. That it is the Lord who gives the victory, and and if they were to able to sort of remove themselves from from the moment and and try to think objectively. Uh, they, they would very well have, have realized that it is not because of their cowardice, but because the Lord's hand is now against them. And the question should be, why? What has happened? Uh, because the Lord is faithful, right? And so, you know, he, he's making this sort of apology almost. What can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? And then we get to the, the root of their distrust, and, and why it's so hard for them to objectively see that the Lord has taken his hand away from them. Hmm. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. You know, the, there's now this fear. We were feared, though not as strong as these other cities. We were feared and the victory was ours, as if somehow it was, it was this, uh, this military psychological warfare, and that's why they were winning, not because of the Lord, right? And now that that mystique has been broken with AI, now everyone else is going to gang up and say, ah, oh, well, we all work together and we can wipe out these Israelites. And that's their fear. Hmm. And, hmm. and Joshua almost sort of turning back, he, he kind of pulls a Moses here and he says, and what will you do for your great name? Reminding God of his promises, the promises that he has made to Israel. 
and and calling on God to recall these things. And that that is sort of how how Joshua is is filling that role of Moses as the intercessor. Of course, all that pointing to the great intercessor we have in Christ Jesus, who intercedes on our behalf at all times. Uh, but he is he's calling on the Lord and reminding him of the promises that the Lord has made. And so this is this is then when the Lord uh, responds, and when He mm. gives this revelation that says, in in effect, your your hearts are not right, or your heart, your one heart of your people is not right, and. As you have, have said, you know, we heard before, we must purge then the evil from among it, uh, that mm. this, that the people may be restored. Mm. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your comments here, Pastor Grimmanon, because this is a, a pretty key moment in the text where Joshua speaks the lament, and I think you, you've you've captured well, sort of the both the the faithfulness of Joshua and the elders in coming to the Lord, and in particular particular in recognizing the need for God's name to be hallowed, to be to be kept holy there at the end. You know, what will you do for your great name? There's a, a recognition by Joshua and the elders that this isn't only about Israel, but it's finally about the glory of God's name, his reputation among the nations, which is, as you rightly pointed out, this should remind us of, of Moses in a very big way in the golden calf incident in the book of Exodus, this is how Moses intercedes on behalf of Israel is, is much less about who Israel is and much more about who God is. And he, he invites God to think about if you destroy your people here, Lord, what are the nations going to say about you? What are they going to think about you as a God? And is that, is that the reputation that you actually have and that you want to have among the nations? Is that, is that really who you are? A God who goes back on your promises. And so in that, in that way, you, know, you see the faithfulness of Joshua and the elders in this moment of repentance and then the lament they bring before God. At the same time, as, as you rightly point out as well, you see that that tendency toward grumbling that we've seen in the previous generation and, and taking things farther than they should have in the way that they speak about, you know, you should have just left us on the other side of the Jordan, Lord. Well, hold on a second, Joshua. <laughs> that was the Lord's promise, was to bring you over the Jordan River to bless you in this land. Now you're, you're carrying things past what God's word says with that complaint, and you're starting to, to grumble. And so I, I love, I, I guess I really appreciate just this prayer from Joshua in that sense, because it, it's a reminder that, you know, when we see the saints of the scriptures, the, the Bible is never afraid to point out both their faithfulness and their unfaithfulness. So we, we see Joshua in a moment of weakness, kind of sound like he's grumbling. So, but then we also see the just the boldness of prayer here as well. That you know, on the on the one hand, and we're going to talk about how the Lord responds here in a moment. But you you know, you see, okay, well, boy, the prayer, you know, he started to grumble. What's God going to do? Well, he's, he's going to answer him. But God's not afraid of that prayer either. It's okay to cry out to God in that way, and and He's going to respond. But but we we have that boldness in prayer. So I really you know, just in these few verses, I think there's there's a lot for us to chew on. Amen. And as you were sort of describing this, this, this grumbling and then this boldness, it, it reminds me of, you know, my, my, my now three-year-old <laughs> Sam, when he's just, he's having a meltdown and, you know, he, he's kicking and he's smacking his hands and he's just taking out his frustrations on his dad. 
um, because he's so sad and so hurt and, and he just doesn't know what he's feeling. And, you know, our Heavenly Father is the same way. He doesn't love us any less when we're sitting there pounding our fists against his chest and just screaming. Uh, but then, you know, once Sam kind of gets it out of his system, he just nestles into my arms and, and you know, and is, is able to be uh, comforted by his dad. And, and the same way our Heavenly Father, he, he's patient. He waits for us to, to throw our fit and then, and then just fills us with his comfort because he loves us and nothing we can do can make him love us any less. Yeah, so the the Lord is going to respond to Joshua. I'm going to read a little bit farther, and I think that's going to take us to our break. So we're looking now at Joshua chapter 7, beginning at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." That takes us through verse 15 of the text, and we're going to go ahead and take our break there and talk about that text on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're looking at Joshua chapter 7 with Pastor Doug Gribbenau this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, October 18th. We're studying Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 to 26 with Pastor Doug Gribbenau. He serves as a mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Gribbenau, prior to the break, we looked at verses 10 through 15, the Lord's response to Joshua's prayer. And we talked about the boldness of Joshua to pray. The Lord is willing to listen. But 
Joshua needs to be ready for the answer. And so Joshua said, hey, what's going on, Lord? And the Lord puts it back to Joshua. Get up. What were you thinking? Of course, someone has sinned. Take us into the answer the Lord gives to Joshua. Amen. I, uh, sort of paraphrasing. That's the, uh, the, the that's right. The, the Bible according to Pastor Apple. What, what were you thinking? But that is really what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. Now, the the sin is breaking of that uh, that proclamation, that curse, really, that, uh, that Joshua spoke over uh, the city of Jericho. You know, the Lord has dedicated this entire city to destruction, with the exception of Rahab and her family and households, because she had hidden and protected the spies of Israel, right? So just her and her household are going to be preserved from this entire wicked city, Jericho, and everything within it is devoted to destruction. It is a devoted thing. It has a purpose that God has declared, and that is to be effectively wiped off the face of the earth, that this may never uh, be, be rebuilt. And in fact, at the close of chapter six, Joshua makes this curse upon the rubble of Jericho, you know, that cursed is the man who rebuilds this place. You know, his firstborn will be the price of laying the foundation, and his his youngest son will be the the price of, of establishing the gates. You know, so his whole all of his children will be sacrificed to rebuild this city, which, by the way, does actually take place and is fulfilled in First Kings, and uh, and the curse is is correct. Um, you know, the the firstborn and the youngest were were killed as Jericho was rebuilt. But the things in Jericho were devoted to destruction, and that is what the Lord had declared. And and even even here, Joshua, you know, had had given this you know command, this warning: do not take of it, lest you by taking these devoting devoted things, these things devoted to destruction, by taking them, you will then make us, that is Israel, a thing devoted to destruction. And that's the very thing that's been happening here. The Lord has taken His hand away, and He says. You know, that um, in uh, in verse 12, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction, just as the things that they had taken from this place. And so the Lord now has revealed here what the problem is, that Israel has sinned. And now he gives the, the prescription for remedy. Um, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And so he says, Joshua, go out there, tell everyone, consecrate themselves to the Lord, because now we're all going to get together. And by casting lots, it's going to narrow down first by, um, by, uh, by the tribe, and then by clans, and then by household, and then man by man. Now, if you were if you were Achan, the one who had taken these things, who had coveted them, and and taken these things that were devoted for destruction, you're going to see the Lord sort of you know narrowing in on you, and and there's no escape. Um, and I can I I identify with Achan. There have been times in my life when I have done a wicked thing, and you know your mom and your dad kind of you can see it sort of narrowing down. <laughs> There's that dread and that panic, uh, and that's going to happen with Achan as the as the tribes and the clans and the households and then man by man, uh, the Lord will reveal the one who has broken faith 
who has taken these, mm. these things that were devoted for destruction and has thus made the whole camp of Israel a thing devoted to destruction. That is to be fully under God's wrath. Mm. Is you're describing the process that the Lord lays out for Joshua to find the one who has done this. As I was reading it before, the thought occurred to me, you know, why, why doesn't the Lord just tell Joshua, hey, look, Achan, he's the one who did it. And yet I think there's, there's something to the process that you described, such that not only Achan, but the whole people of Israel will remember that you know, when they sin, and particularly in such an egregious manner as a breaking of the covenant that's been given here, the Lord knows. He He sees it. And it, it reminded me of, of Deuteronomy chapter 29, where the Lord through Moses warns the people ahead of time. This is in Deuteronomy 29 verses 18 and 19. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. It's striking how that very, and again, well, it's striking how that very thing happens here, that there has been judgment upon the whole people of Israel because of what one has done. To be fair, we we don't really get an entire glimpse into Achan's attitude behind why he did what he did. We will get to hear his confession here in a moment. So we don't we don't know what exactly he was thinking when he did this, although it's not hard to imagine him thinking, oh, it's just a few things, I'll be okay, it's no big deal. The Lord, through the process that's given to single Achan out, reminds not only Achan, but his entire people of the seriousness of their sin, and that even if no one else knows, which is the case here in Joshua 7, the entire camp of Israel is clueless that this has happened. The Lord knows, and he will deal with sin as he has said. He has done an outrageous thing in Israel, and, yeah. and the whole body suffers. Yeah. 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 So, so Joshua is going to carry out the Lord's word faithfully. We pick up the text now again in verse 16 of chapter 7. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. Then, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. 
and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. That's the rest of our text for today. That takes us through Joshua chapter 7, verse 26. So, Pastor Gribbenau, Joshua goes through the process that the Lord lays out. This is the the pattern that Joshua has set so far. He hears from the Lord, and he does and speaks as the Lord says. So they, they go through this process of narrowing it down by tribe, by clan, by family, finally by man, and here is Achan. And anything more on the the process? The only the one thing that does stand out to me, and I'm not sure there's anything to it other than this is the way it happened, but the the fact that Achan is from the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Judah is the one through whom the promise of the the seed goes, that that surprises me a little bit, but I, it's just the way it was, I suppose. I don't know. Are there, are there any details there that I'm missing? Well, there is perhaps, and um, I, I won't say that this is, you know, uh, the gospel, right? The gospel, and that it's like absolutely true, but this is for consideration. Uh, here, Achan uh, is this man who has brought the curse upon all the people of Israel, right? And now he will he will die uh, for, for the result of his trespass. But looking to the New Testament and looking to our Lord, we have in him the one who is completely blameless and is going to then take the sin of the whole people into himself to suffer and die in our stead. So Achan is sort of like the the opposite type of, of Christ here. The, the people who... You know, speaking sort of pragmatically, are largely innocent of this because of what Achan has done versus Christ, who is absolutely innocent and yet takes the entire guilt of all peoples in all places and all times and and suffers and dies in our stead. Uh, so, and, and of course, <laughs> you know, Jesus comes from the line of David, you know, and so we, we mm. sort of see this connection here of, of, of Christ then doing the opposite of what Aiken has done for each and every one of us. So it's worth pondering. Uh, that we sure. Okay. That. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think I, I see what you're saying and I, I can, I can run with that, that so that Aiken from the tribe of Judah, he's, he's getting what he deserves. He, he is getting exactly what, what you and I deserve. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. But later there will come one from the tribe of Judah who will undergo this sort of, you know, punishment, he will bear the curse of our sin upon himself innocently, not getting what he deserves, getting what we deserved in our place. So it's a, I don't know what the, it's a a, a type a, by contrast yeah, or something like that. Yeah, type by contrast. Very good. I don't know. I, I just made that up. That's probably not a technical term, it but sounds we'll, we'll run important. with it for yes, now. that's right. <laughs> okay. So let's talk then about, about Joshua's words to Achan in verse 19, and then Achan's confession in response. Take us into to verses 19 and following. So Joshua calls Achan to repentance, and he does so by saying, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And now tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan, you know, to his credit, he he confesses and he lays it all out there. And and I and I think by implication, he he's doing so also to give glory to God and to give praise to Him and to confess, you know, lay it all out there. This is what I did. 
I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And, and that's a good reminder that when we sin, the, the, the most grievous aspect of it is that we sin against the Lord. There is collateral damage. There's all sorts of other people that we sin and hurt with uh, by our sin. But, but the greatest and, and thing is that it is sin against God. And so by also implication, when others have sinned against us, you know, we, we should rightly see that, you know, we are so valuable to God that it is injurious to him. Right? And so he says, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. You know, when I saw the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted them, and I took them. I wanted them. I knew these things were devoted to destruction, and yet, you know, I, I couldn't help myself. I coveted them, I took them, and then I buried them. And I have buried them within the land this, this land that the Lord God has said is, is holy for you guys. And so he has taken, you know, this, this land that is meant to be for their good and put it to a purpose of concealing wickedness and evil. And, and it is an outrageous thing that he has done in the sight of Israel. And he you know, confesses, and it's right here, you know, in my tent, in the earth, inside my tent. So he actually recognizes the, the great value of the land that the Lord has given them. Uh, with the silver underneath, you know, the sort of uh, little detail that, uh, you know, is dropped in there to, because it, it's, this is a true and an actual event. And of course it is hidden there in his tent with, with the silver underneath. Uh, and so oh, he does, yeah. he makes a full confession. Then the question that I think each one of us struggles with is, okay, he's, he's confessed, he's said he's sorry, and yet he's still going to be stoned. And how do we struggle with that? I mean, because that that seems, at least from our modern perspective, I think, you know, pretty darn extreme. <laughs> with this poor guy. You know, what's the 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 wicked old Adam in me says, well, what was the point of confessing if you're just gonna be put to death anyhow, right? <laughs> and and I, I think the resolution really is for us to see uh that that God works uh in in our time and space. In, in a real sense, in the kingdom of the left and the kingdom of the right, that there are the civic temporal penalties for, for our lawlessness, and then there's the eternal penalty of lawlessness. And so while we are not told Aiken's disposition, uh, his final you know, eternal disposition, uh, the fact that he has confessed um, and, and as it explained everything and, and confessed his sin against the Lord God, I would argue and, and hope for the sake of Christ that his sin against God is forgiven for the sake of, of the Messiah who is to come for Achan, right? But he is forgiven in the blood of Jesus, dying on the cross for us, for the sins of all people. And, and I would not be surprised to see Achan on the last day standing alongside every other saint. Uh, no matter what grievous trespass, a lawlessness, sin they have committed, uh, that, that he would stand there, uh, a redeemed one of Israel before the Lord forever and ever. But that does not yeah, mean I, I, that the temporal punishment is completely wiped away. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, the, the question of, of Achan's eternal 
uh, state is is a, one of course as you say you know that we we can't know for certain and it it's one of those where you you kind of wish maybe that the text said more although i i don't know that that we would like it then either i i don't know the thing about aiken's confession is that it it does seem to be a, a as far as confessions go like good you know when you think about for example in genesis 3 when the lord himself confronts Adam and Eve, both of them offer excuses. Uh, when, uh, but but Aiken here, you know, he doesn't he doesn't offer an excuse. He simply says, "Here's what I did. I I sinned. I coveted. Here's what I took. Here's where it is." As far as confessions go, it's a it's a good one, and yet he he does still suffer that temporal punishment because that is what the Lord gave, and and what that does or doesn't say about his eternal state. You know that, like, like you said, we can't know from this text for sure. So we, I suppose, we should be careful. I think that the thing that that stands out to me most about what what happens to Aiken overall is that it is a reminder of just how seriously the Lord takes sin. That He does not just brush it off, but it actually requires what sin requires, which is ultimately death. And and in that way, as you as you've said before, you know, this text does point us toward our savior Christ who takes the death that we deserve into himself. And, and that's where, you know, but we yet still need to take this sin very seriously. It's striking how the Lord does deal with Aiken's sin here. There's a, perhaps a parallel in the new Testament with the way that the Lord deals with the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five, where, where they, lie to the Holy Spirit, just like Achan here sins against the Lord and, and he recognizes it. Of course, of course, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five don't confess like Achan does, which is what, no, what they, makes they Achan a, a unique thing. Until their dying breath, quite literally yeah. their dying breath. Yeah, yeah. Which is what makes Achan unique in the sense that he does confess, at least compared to them, it's it's unique. There are other examples in the scriptures of of people who confess, King David being one of them as well. Amen. But it is it, you know, it's, it's striking here what happens to Achan. His confession, I do think we should see as a a good one. He he does the right thing by confessing when he comes up against Joshua here. And and Joshua, to to his credit as well, you know, does treat Achan respectfully. Uh, as a as a fellow Israelite, you know he calls him my son, and even then, when he, you know, says you brought trouble, here's trouble against you. He treats. I mean, Joshua, I think, shows himself to be a faithful leader in this whole episode as well. Can you imagine what it uh, being in his shoes uh, yeah. and, and having to pronounce the the public execution of of one of your peoples, uh, especially one who has who has confessed. And yet he does it because the trespass is so grave and is so injurious. Um, but uh, and, and it takes great faith to do as the Lord commands, which is what Joshua has done throughout all of this. And then, and then we get to chapter 7 and things sort of fall apart. Uh, but sure. then he returns back to the Lord has said he speaks, the people act. Yeah. So take us into this this final scene. You you mentioned from the the outset that the name Achan is related to the Hebrew word for trouble. And now here at the end of the text, with the judgment that is brought against Achan, we see that wordplay come back where the where it takes place. This valley of Achor. Take us into the the final scene of our text in, in these last verses of chapter seven. Sure. The end of verse twenty four. You know they brought to the valley of Achor the, or the valley of trouble, and Joshua said to Achan. 
why did you bring trouble on us? Achan being trouble. Uh, and, and he says, the Lord brings trouble on you today. Uh, he brings his, his wrath will be poured out and, and the sin will be punished. Uh, now, the, the other sort of challenging portion is, as we read in, in verse uh, 23, uh, and so, uh, actually, verse 24, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And then we hear, and all Israel stoned him, Achan, with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Now, there is two competing thoughts concerning his sons and his daughters, oxen, donkey, and all those things. On the one hand, the, the, his family and children, his sons and daughters, may have been brought forth as witnesses to God's punishment for this sin, uh, and they may only have been witnesses. And we, we can look back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, verse 16, uh, to, to see that, that this may well be the case, where we hear that fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. But on the other hand, uh, we hear later in the book of Joshua, in chapter 22, verse 20, did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things, that is, the things devoted to destruction, and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel, and he did not perish alone for his iniquity. And, and so in, later on there in Joshua 22, it sort of lends credence to this idea that it was, you know, his son's daughters, his oxen, his donkey, everything was then also likewise devoted to destruction. We're left with these sort of two perspectives. And speaking purely pragmatically, uh, the volume of, of things that Achan had taken uh, and the manner in which he has concealed them you know, playing, you know, armchair detective, I doubt that he did this entirely by himself. Uh, and, and so very likely, you know, his family was engaged likewise in, in covering up and concealing this treasure, this, these things devoted for destruction that Aiken had coveted and taken. Um, and so based on Joshua 22, I would lean towards saying that yes, his 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 family, the sons and daughters, were likewise also stoned, um, but in the same manner as as I hope for Aiken, that I would hope that uh, that this confession that they would be forgiven for the sake of Christ and yet suffered this this temporal punishment uh, in the in the kingdom of the left, the civic punishment for their crimes. And yet in the kingdom of the right, the kingdom of grace, they, they remain eternally sort of forgiven uh, for the sake of, of the blood of Jesus. Oh. And it's, it, is an, it is, you know, what we say, sort of an open question. The Hebrew is unclear as to what this plural them is. Is it just the oxen and the donkey? Is it the things of his, of his household, these, these 
you know, ill-gotten gains, uh, you know, his tent, his possessions that they would be wiped out? Or does this plural them include both the sons and the daughters? And the Hebrew's not clear about it. Uh, and so one can argue in, in either case. Um, but for, for myself, I think Joshua 22 points that, that there is, you know, that his family was complicit in this, um, in the breaking of the faith. And so likewise also uh, were subject then to the, the temporal punishments uh, of the kingdom of the left. Yeah, and and then in in verse just to to kind of wrap that up in verse twenty six, regardless of how that question ends up being answered, and I appreciate you laying that out for us, Pastor Gribbenaw. But regardless of, of exactly which way it did work, you do see the result in the end of verse twenty six. The Lord turned from his burning anger, so the the people listen to the Lord's word. He does promise, he keeps his promise to remain with him. He turns from his burning anger. And we see the ultimate result of that in chapter eight, which we'll look at tomorrow with the fall of AI. Now the Lord has brought his people back to him and he continues fulfilling that promise to give them the promised land one city at a time. Next is AI that we get in chapter eight. We got about a minute here, Pastor Gribbon. I help us to wrap things up with Joshua chapter seven today. All right. Joshua chapter seven is a reminder for us that all sin against the Lord is is carries equal weight there is but one punishment for sin and the wages of sin are death and for the sake of christ jesus who has taken that punishment for us in our stead by his death and resurrection then gives to us his righteousness and his innocence and we stand before the lord uh you know forgiven and we do so as the body of christ bearers of his holy name and it was a great privilege, a distinction, an honor, but also a great responsibility uh, to be that, that light on a hill, to live according to his word and promise, not because of fear, but out of love and devotion to our Lord, who has done so many great things for us. Pastor Doug Gribbenau serves as mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri, helping us today with Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 to 26. Pastor Gribbenau, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me back. God's peace to all you brothers and sisters. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Joshua, please send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.